Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for you. We do pray that you would Bless us, Lord, with a timely word. Help us to understand, remember, and apply your word to our lives. I do pray for the gift of teaching and that I would decrease and you increase. And Lord, by the time it's when it's time to leave this place, Lord, may we leave better than when we came in. Help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. Help us to be more equipped for the work of the ministry. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So in the next three chapters of the book of Genesis, we're going to see the record of Jacob's 20 long years away from the land of Canaan, which is the promised land and where also his home is. And so we're going to see that over the next three chapters, uh, 29, 30, and 31. But in chapter 29, we're going to observe Jacob's relationship with his father-in-law slash uncle, and his two wives. So we're going to see all the details surrounding that. And so the title of the study is A Tale of Two Wives um, in Genesis 29. And as usual, we're going to take away some spiritual nuggets that we can apply to our lives, not in our own strength, but hopefully and prayerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit. So with all that being said, let's look at Genesis 29 verse 1. It says, so Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And so the the people of the east, this would be near Haran um, or this area of the Aramaeans on the northern Euphrates or Euphrates River. And he looked in verse two and he saw a well in the field. And behold, uh, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks will be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And so during that time, it was the custom there to wait for all of the flocks to arrive before the stone would be removed um, and they would be able to water the animals. And then afterwards, the stone will be placed back over the mouth of the well. And what was going on here actually made sense because it prevented a large amount of debris, uh, dust and so forth from falling into the well uh, because it's constantly open. And so instead of opening and closing it you know, over and over again, and the stone was heavy anyway, why not wait for all the flocks to arrive and then do it? And so that's kind of what's going on there as we have just read verse 3. And then verse 4 says, And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And so Abraham's servant, now that we go back in time or think back to something that happened in the past here from our story. um, Again, you'll recall that Abraham's servant met uh, Rebecca, who is Isaac's wife, near a well when she came to draw water. That was back in Genesis 24. Um, And also, um, just speaking of a well and Uh, People meeting at a well. You remember, fast forward from this point, New Testament. You remember Jesus, uh, John chapter 4. He met uh, a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. 
And he revealed to her that he is the Messiah, that he is, in other words, the Christ. And so here in this study, in Genesis chapter 29, we see that Jacob, he met some people at a well. So here, so far, he met some shepherds from Haran. And Haran, once again, just based on the previous study, is a city in northern Syria. You see, just, just based on um, just various stories in the, in the Bible, we, we can see that it would appear that well seemed to uh, be a good place to meet people. It just seemed to be a good place where people would gather, run across each other and just meet. Uh, for people had to go there in order to get water for themselves and for their animals. So, yeah, there you go. Good place to meet at a well. And I, and I mention that because in that, I, I believe we can see an easy and a practical tip for witnessing. In other words, go where the people are going to be. Go where the people are going to be gathered. And if you will, go where the wells are. So maybe the well may be some kind of crowded parking lot. Maybe it's some type of uh, carnival going on or something like that. But, but you see an easy and practical tip for witnessing. That is street witnessing. Go where the people are going to be. And this, of course, would be in line with what we call the great commission that Jesus gave uh, to the disciples. You see, in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples or followers, students um, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In verses 5 through 10, it says, uh, Then he said to them, uh, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Now, technically, Laban was the grandson of Nahor, one of his descendants. And so that's what is meant there. And they said, these shepherds, they said, uh, We know him. Uh, so he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Uh, then he, being Jacob, said, look, it is still high day. In other words, the, the sun is still high overhead. There's a lot of daylight. It's broad daylight right now. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. That is, it's not time for them to be gathered in their folds for the night. So what he's saying is it's too early to round up the animals. And so Jacob is advising them. In a sense, here, really, he's commanding them. He says, water the sheep and go and feed them. Uh, but in verse 8, it says, uh, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw uh, Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. So in other words, Laban is his uncle. And he saw the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And so as Rachel, his cousin, drew near with her father's, that is Laban's sheep, uh, Jacob told the guys, these shepherds who were at the well, to water their sheep. 
He told them to do that. And, and, you know, and then um, he says, and then feed them since it was a, a lot of sunlight. You see, Jacob, I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly what his motive was, uh, but there was one or two things going on and why he advised them to go ahead and water the sheep and then go on and feed the sheep because it's still sunlight. Uh, either he was trying to help them to be responsible shepherds or as he saw um, Rachel coming, maybe he was trying to get them out of the way so he could spend some time getting to know her. See, but when she came, when she finally arrived with her, with his uncle's sheep, that is uh, Laban's sheep, you see that Jacob got up and he rolled the stone away from the well and he watered the flock. In other words, uh, Jacob served. And so being a servant, now that we fast forward it to us today, because we want to find some spiritual truth, some spiritual nuggets for us. You see, being a servant for us is actually part of being a pupil, student, or follower of Jesus Christ. And so the question I want to pose to all of us and something for us to think about and meditate on and be, and be honest with ourselves. And the question is, are we serving or are we always waiting to be served? See, in the New Testament, James and John's mother, they asked Jesus, she asked Jesus if her two sons could sit on the right and left of him in his kingdom. You see, the other disciples learned about their requests, and they also learned about Jesus's response to, to James and John. And they became upset with those other two disciples. And when Jesus saw that, he shared a very important message in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 42 through 45. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. They're like tyrants over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus tells his followers, his disciples, he says, yet it shall not be so among you. They may be tyrants over the people that they rule over that they have authority over, but amongst Christians, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, it shall not be that way amongst us. But whoever desires to become great among us shall be your servant. You see, some people will say that in the kingdom of God, things, God turned things upside down. Because usually, for example, usually the person with, with, with a lot of money and look the best and, and they have all this power, usually people are serving them and so forth. And they are seen as the great ones. But, but really, for those who would say that in God's kingdom, things are upside down, really, it is right side up. Because in God's kingdom, the one who is great is the one who is servant of all. See, in verse 44 here, as we're still looking at Mark chapter 10, he says, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. You see, and Jesus is not telling them, he's not telling us to do something that he himself is not willing to do. Because in verse 45, he says, for even the son of man, speaking of himself, a title of the Messiah, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is the ultimate servant. Jesus provided the ultimate service in giving his life 
on that cross, allowing his blood to be shed, which is uh, pretty much his life being poured out for us. And in dying on that cross for us, he gave his life as a ransom for us. See, he took the punishment that we deserve. He took the wrath of the father upon himself. He made a payment, a spiritual payment that we could not pay. In other words, he paid off our spiritual debt. See, the son of man, Jesus Christ, he came to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So, of course, the scriptures tell us that he died for all. But why does it say for many here? Well, that's because for some, only some people will appropriate this to their lives. Others will reject it. So there's other scriptures that says that um, he is not the propitiation for our sins only, which is a propitiation is the satisfaction um, of God's um, anger and, and, and righteous justice against sin. And so not only is he the propitiation for us who are believers, but also for the whole world. But only, of course, a few will repent and will receive it. In verses 11 through 17, now we're back in Genesis 29, by the way, it says, then Jacob kissed Rachel. And so this was a kiss of greeting. And then he lifted up his voice and wept. Oh, she must have been really pretty that he would kiss her on the cheek in greeting and, and weep. And, and Jacob, in verse 12, he told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. And so she ran. She told her father, that is, uh, Jacob's uncle. And then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, his sister Rebekah's son, that he ran to meet him. And he embraced him and he kissed him, another kiss of greeting, and he brought him to his house. So he, being Jacob, he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, um, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, which means weary. And the name of the younger was Rachel, which means you, uh, which is uh, uh, a female sheep. And Leah's eyes in verse 17, it says, were delicate. In other words, they were weak or tender, perhaps ordinary. But Rachel was beautiful of form. She was beautiful uh, of figure, in other words, in her appearance. In other words, she had also a lovely face. And so this phrase that Leah's eyes were delicate could mean that, uh, number one, she could not see well. Or, or maybe it meant that they were not as dark or brown as Rachel's eyes. Uh, a third thing it could mean is that they were just dull. And in other words, they're not full of life. There's no sparkle, perhaps, in Leah's eyes. Or it could just simply mean, speaking of this phrase, it could simply mean that her eyes were just unimpressive. And so based on the fact that Leah's eyes were compared to Rachel's beauty, because Rachel was a beautiful a figure and had a lovely face. So, so seeing that her eyes were compared to her beauty, to Rachel's beauty, it probably means that Leah was not as beautiful in face 
and form as Rachel. So to keep it simple, Rachel was more beautiful than her sister Leah. But of course, we know as we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we know that the Bible teaches and God teaches. When I say the Bible teaches, it's God's word. So God teaches that beauty, and this is what we should know, is more than outward looks. And many of you already know this scripture, but we're going to read it again because maybe there's some people who've never seen this. But in Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says that charm is deceitful. And beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so it's not all about the outward looks. Uh, Not only does that go for women, but also for men, because beauty is passing. The handsomeness that many of you have, I'll say all of you have as men in here, the the handsome Calvary Chapel men, that's passing. Those muscles you may have, guys, they're going to start getting flabby. So those things are passing. But a, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised, going back to the women. And so in 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4, there's more information here about uh, the beauty being more than just outward looks. It says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair Uh, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So this would be a peaceful or a calm and self-controlled spirit. And that is very precious in the sight of God. So he's more concerned with the inner beauty. And so again, of course, um, we were comparing the, the, the two ladies here. We were comparing Rachel and Leah and so forth. And so these scriptures um, on the surface, um, you know, it's talking about women. But, but, but men, too, are many men are too concerned about their outward looks. In fact, I looked up uh, uh, on a website and I looked up a survey and I looked at the results of that survey. And according to one of them, it says that more than 1000 Americans on average speaking of adults, uh, spend 722 every year on appearance. And so on average, uh, women spend 877 uh, per year um, on their appearance, whereas men spend $592 on average. Uh, And then uh, the survey goes on to talk about the top three beauty investments for women. Uh, Number one is skin care. Number two is um, hair products. And number three, haircuts and color. Um, and the, then there's the top three beauty investments for men. Uh, number one, haircuts. Uh, number two, supplements slash protein powders. <laughs> number three, gym memberships. And so keep working on those muscles, pops. That's, that's my father-in-law. So keep working on those muscles. Um, and 60% wish that they had more money to spend on their appearance. 60% wish they had more money to spend on their appearance. And get this, it's speaking of Americans, nearly one in six spend more on beauty and wellness than they can afford. Oh, you see, I may not be able to put gas in my car or buy some food, but, but I got to have my beauty and wellness stuff. One out of six. And then one in three people 
are considering cosmic surgery to approve appearance. And one in 10 have tried to look like a celebrity. <laughs> and then I'm not that one. Just, just so you know, I'm going to get it out and throw it out there right now. Uh, but, but there's even something going on. They're talking about guys now because, like I said, men and women, you know, especially these days, are more concerned about the outward appearance. I'm not saying that you shouldn't put on deodorant and look good and comb your hair. You should. Brush your teeth, please. Um, so I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. Comb your hair, you know, tie your shoes, make it look clean, nice. Nothing wrong with that. But like I said, we're talking about people just placing more importance on that than on the inner beauty. But I've seen this, I don't know if you want to call it a craze or, I don't know, to me it's crazy. But I've even seen some guys who are injecting themselves with synthol, which includes some oil, in order to make themselves look muscular. And when you look at some of these guys, the, 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 the muscles on, on the left and right arm, they're, they're not even even. You have, they're just drooping in every place. Uh, but, but you see this, and I'm, I'm not saying look it up, but I'm just saying you probably saw it already, but there, there's a craze there. Uh, but I like what Matthew 23 says, and this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and scribes who were uh, Jewish religious leaders. Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Uh, Jesus is straightforward. Um, but, but woe, by the way, it's a, it's a primary exclamation of grief. So it's not a good thing when you see a woe, a W-O-E in the Bible. It's not a good exclamation. It's an exclamation, once again, of grief. So, so woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. So in their case, they were trying to look good on the outside, religiously speaking. Um, But he says in verse 26, he says, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. And and so that those set of scriptures came to mind because it shows us that that God uh, wants to let us know that it's more important for us to, to be clean on the inside, to have the inner beauty uh, than the outward uh, beauty. You see, the cost of the inner beauty is free to us. Praise God. You see, by the grace of God, by his word and with his Holy Spirit, we can be changed from the inside out. We could be made more beautiful from the inside out through his word and his Holy Spirit and, of course, by his grace. And so we want to place a more um, more importance on being conformed to the image of Christ. We, we want to look like Christ in our in our actions and we want to sound like Christ in our thoughts and I'm sorry, in our speech. We want to have the thoughts of Christ, have the mind of Christ. So we want to place a greater importance on being conformed into his image than anything else. And so that's what we should be as believers, and it should be a daily process. And so that's why it's so important to spend time on a daily basis with him in his word and in prayer. But, but going back to Genesis 29, uh, verse 18, it says, Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve uh, you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give you that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. 
And so in verse 20, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seem only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. You see, normally um, at that time, a man, he would pay a dowry uh, for a wife. And the purpose of the dowry was to secure the wife's financial future in case the husband should leave the wife or um, he should die. And so we know that Jacob's family had a lot of wealth. So they they were not poor. They were rich. Um, But yet still he left home without any money. And so um, at that time, if the bridegroom didn't have the means to give a dowry or the bride price, uh, that he could perform some kind of service in place of the dowry. And so this is what we see Jacob doing. And so he is uh, offering his service uh, for her hand in marriage. And so the, the seven years of labor would actually be without pay. And the crazy thing about this is, and we see in verse 20, uh, is that in Jacob's seven years of service for Rachel, the younger sister, uh, it only seemed like a few days to him. You see, when you really love someone or something, then your work or service really does not seem like work. But here's the thing for us as believers today. May we have the same type of attitude when it comes to Jesus. Uh, That we love Jesus so much that when we get up and we come to church, when we open up the Bible, when we spend time with him in prayer, when we spend time maybe in a home fellowship, when we spend time serving in the children's ministry or wherever it may be doing some church project, uh, may it not be done out of an attitude of duty. You're just grumpy about the whole thing or giving to him. You're just grumpy about the whole thing. You might as well not give it. You might as well not do it. But whatever we give, whatever we do for him in his name, may it be done out of a heart of love. Be done because we love him. We realize how much he has done for us. And so for us, um, we love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. And so we serve him and live for him because, of course, he died for us. And so may we not serve or give or do anything um, in his name, supposedly, from a heart of duty, but from a heart of love. And then, of course, it won't seem like work. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy being a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. You're going to enjoy being a blessing to the church in the name of Jesus because of your love for him. Verses 21 through 27, it says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and he made a feast. This will be a wedding feast. And now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and he brought her to Jacob and he went into her. He went into her, of course, to consummate the marriage. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week. 
In other words, fulfill her uh, wedding celebration this week. And then we'll give you this one. We'll give you Rachel also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. Wow. So Laban put on this wedding feast that Jacob thought was for him and the younger daughter, Rachel. That's who he really wanted. That's who he worked seven years for. But as we read there, when it came time for him to consummate the marriage with his wife, Laban was sneaky and deceitful. He brought Leah to Jacob and he had sexual relations with Leah, thinking it was Rachel, the one he really loved and worked for. And the reason that this was pulled off was because Leah, most likely, according to the culture, had on a veil. At the same time, it's probably dark in the room. However, the next morning, that's when the Bible says he realized that it was Leah, it was her older sister. And once again, after he confronted Laban, his uncle, then his uncle told him about the custom they had of not giving the younger daughter in marriage before the oldest daughter got married. You see, Laban told Jacob that he'd give him Rachel after fulfilling that that, that week, that seven-day period of the wedding celebration with Leah. And so that wedding feast, it was lavish. And like I said, it lasted seven days. So, so go ahead and finish her week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later, Jacob. But at the same time, Jacob would also need to serve Laban for another uh, seven years for Rachel. See, Laban... His uncle, he should have said something about this custom when Jacob specifically shared in verse 18 that he wanted to marry Rachel. And so what it appears like, it appears that Laban purposely hid that information about this custom, which would in turn allow him to get more free labor for seven years from his nephew. And so what we're looking at here is that Jacob, who was himself deceptive when he got the blessing from his father. Now you see the one who was deceptive. Now he's being deceived. And so you seeing that he's reaping what he sold. You know, there's this spiritual law that's in effect, this law in the spiritual world that is in effect. You see, Galatians 6, 7 says, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows or whatever he plants, that he will also reap. So in other words, he sowed the seed of deception. And now he is reaping here the consequences of it. And before I even became a believer, I saw this spiritual law in effect. Because when I was in high school, I, I, I got to a point where I believed that there was a God, but I didn't take him seriously. And I would, and I would notice that every time I did something to somebody else, then something to come back on me. I beat up somebody, something happened to me. And it got to the point where I saw this happening like clockwork. I started to notice it. And the last thing I did, I was like, oh, it's going to come back on me. And, and sure enough... It did. So I even noticed this spiritual law of reaping and sowing, even when I was an unbeliever as a young teenager and I eventually got saved at 18. But but here's the thing. Be careful of what we sow. 
because we may not like the consequences. Uh, But I'll say this to you, that this law, the spiritual law, can also work in a positive way if you were to uh, sow to the spirit, for example. So we've seen it work in a negative way, but it could also work in a positive way. So be careful of what we sow. In verses 28 through 30, now we're back in Genesis 29, it says, Then Jacob did so. He fulfilled her week. He fulfilled the week of celebration with Leah. And so after fulfilling that week, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his, daughter, to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into or consummated his marriage to Rachel. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And so in summary, we see that Rachel was given to Jacob. Then he began to serve Laban for an additional seven years. So he didn't have to do the additional seven years first, then get Rachel. No, he just had to finish that wedding um, feast that week with Leah. Then he got Rachel, then the seven years. But another thing we can see is that some trouble is brewing. And I say that because in verse 30, we see that he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And so right then, you know that something crazy is about to happen. So we look at verse 31, it says, and when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel, the second wife, who really should have been the first and only wife, but Rachel was barren. And so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Uh, Reuben means see, a son. And in Hebrew, the name Reuben sounds like, has seen my affliction. And so she named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction or misery. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again. And she bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon means heard. And in Hebrew, um, the name Simeon sounds like has heard. And we go to verse 34. You're going to see that she conceived again, bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. That is attached to me as a companion. Because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Levi means joined to or attached. And in verse 35, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Judah means praise. Then it says she stopped bearing see, Leah was naming her sons based on her feelings, also based on her desires and her relation to God. But at the same time, Rachel was barren. The wife who was loved, the wife who should have been the one and only, she was barren. But Leah, the technical first wife, she was having the sons, the babies, four of them so far in this chapter. You see, God honored that relationship with the first wife who was not loved as much. 
And an interesting thing about Leah is that we see that both the priestly line and the, the royal line came from Leah. And so the priestly line, the priests would come from Levi, the tribe of Levi. And then the royal line um, would come from Judah. And so King David and Solomon came from the tribe of Judah and the Messiah, Jesus, according to his flesh, according to his humanity. He came from the line of Judah. And so you see these two lines here come from the wife who was not loved or who was unloved. You see, in this tale or in this story of these two wives, Leah and Rachel, we saw that one was loved by Jacob more than the other. And here's the thing, just to remind you, the Bible does not condone or approve of polygamy, being married to more than one person at a time. The Bible doesn't condone it. However, the Bible does record the truth about a situation. And so we need to be uh, mindful of the fact that we should not confuse what is prescriptive in the Bible versus what is descriptive. Because whatever is prescriptive in the Bible, these are things we must do. And so the, the Bible's clear, and you know, when, when God created marriages between one biological man, one biological woman, that's it. And sex is only allowed within that circle of one biological man and one biological woman who are married. You see, but there are some things that happen because of man's choices, because of human's choice. And so the Bible is going to record their choices accurately. And so what we're seeing here is not something that God is approving of, but we see something that is more descriptive or what's described is describing what is going on. In fact, we, we even get to see the problems oftentimes that are caused by this type of marriage arrangement. Somebody's jealous. Somebody's not pregnant. The other one is. We see that. You're going to even see it again. You keep reading the scriptures. You see, but the truth of the matter is that Jacob was tricked. And we know this. He was tricked into marrying Leah and, and then agreed to work seven additional years for the wife he really wanted. That is Rachel. At the same time, Leah, he's, she continued to feel that she was unloved, even though she was having children with Jacob. She just 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 none of these children made her feel more loved by her husband. And after she named her first three sons in particular, we can hear her pain. We can hear her pain after every son that came out of her womb that she gave birth to. You can hear her pain when she had Reuben. She was convinced that the Lord had heard her affliction. So there you could tell she was in misery. This was a miserable situation for her to be left out in the cold, to be unloved while her sister's getting all the love. She's technically the first wife and she has to put up with this. You even see her pain when, and hear her pain when she has Simon. But she was convinced, or Simeon, I should say. When she has Simeon, she was convinced that the Lord had heard that she was unloved. Then having Levi, she was hopeful now. Hopeful that now I have three with him. I have three sons, three children with Jacob. Now he's going to be attached to me. Those were her thoughts. You can hear her pain. You know, maybe, 
Maybe some of you, maybe in this room or maybe uh, watching online. Or if you're listening to the audio at this point, maybe some of you listening, maybe some of you did not feel loved as you grew up from childhood. Or, Or maybe some of you have had those times when you didn't feel loved by your mate. Or maybe you're in a place or have been in the place where you haven't been uh, loved or you just didn't at least feel loved by the people who mattered most to you. So maybe you've gone through that period. Maybe you can identify with Leah. But but Leah knew something after after every son that 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 came out of her womb. She it, it almost described that she knew something about God. And there's something that we could take from Leah. And so like Leah, we need to also know that God, number one, he sees our pain. He sees the misery as you feel that you are unwanted, as you feel like maybe you are unloved or rejected. God sees just like he saw Leah in her situation, in her misery, in her affliction. But even like Leah, we also need to know that God hears as well. He hears that you are maybe unloved or at least you have those feelings. Maybe God, he also hears the fact that you have been rejected and it could be maybe in the home or maybe in the workplace or or if you play on some type of athletic team, sports team, maybe you are rejected and you have that feeling. God sees that. God hears that. And these are things that Leah knows. So be like Nia and know and understand that God sees and he knows your misery. He, he understands that you are in this situation where you are looked down upon, where, where you are not as appreciated as the other. See, God hears. He, he knows what is being said about you. But also know this. Know that God not only sees your pain and misery, not only does he hear that you are unloved, but also know, and I know many of you know this, we say it all the time, we read it all the time, but but also remember that God loves you. Oh, he loves you immensely. And maybe sometimes you forget about that. It's such a simple word, love. Such a simple concept is is something that's thrown out all the time. But do we really realize the fact that that the God of the universe loves little old me, Uh, the one who was caught up in sin, who lived a life of sin, who wasn't even thinking about him? But 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 yes, he loves us. God loves you. He how how do we know that? So there is even a clue, by the way. That could be found in a song, a song, of course, many of us sang when you were younger. Maybe you heard it when you were younger. Maybe you sang it. You're probably still singing it now. Jesus loves me. There's a clue of how we know that God loves us because some of the lyrics say, Jesus loved me. This I know for the Bible tells me. So go to the word. How do we know? We know based on the word. We also know that God loves us based on the cross because Romans 5 says that that but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, you weren't doing anything good. You weren't even thinking about him. You weren't even trying to do any right. We're not even inherently good. But while we were still sinners, 
not only with the sin nature, but also actively promoting and participating in sin. While we were yet at that point, God demonstrated his love for us. In which way? Because Christ died for us. So how do we know God loves us? The word of God tells us. And also we can remember the cross, what Jesus did on that cross. So, of course, I've been sharing some lessons we can learn from from Leah and knowing that God sees and hears. Now, throughout a third point, the fact that God loves us. If you're in that place of feeling unloved, unappreciated or maybe just rejected. But but there's also one more lesson that we can learn from Leah, especially if or when you feel unloved, when you feel or if you feel less than or if or when you feel unappreciated. There's another lesson we can learn from Leah, and that lesson, it can be found in the name of her son, Judah, the fourth son, which means praise. Because after she had him, she didn't say anything that was related potentially to her relationship with her husband. Oh, now he's going to love me some more. Now he's going to spend more time with me. Now, she already had three tries with that. So now she is at the point. Okay, yes, I love my husband. Yes, I want him to love me. But I'm past that point with these other three children. uh, There there were hints of what I wanted from my husband. But I'm going to name this child Judah. I'm going to name him praise. So in spite what my husband does, in spite what he feels about me or what he says about me, I'm going to praise. In other words, I'm going to name this son Judah for, for now I will praise the Lord. So if you're at that point and maybe you feel unloved, maybe you feel less than, maybe you feel unappreciated or or, or undervalued by people, just praise the Lord. Just focus on the Lord. So don't worry about, in other words, who is getting the better treatment, who seems to be getting all the love, who seems to be getting all of the attention. Don't don't worry about that. Don't focus on that. Just Judah, just praise the Lord. And a good reason to praise the Lord is just because you are loved by him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, that when any of us have those moments of, you know, maybe unappreciation or undervalued or unloved, whatever it may be. And Lord, I'm pretty sure even as Christians, some of us have have felt that maybe even now in this room, there may be some or maybe online, there may be some who are going through it. I pray, Lord, that they would be reminded that they are indeed loved. They're loved by you and they are loved by the body of Christ. So I just pray that you would just reassure your people. For those who are not, maybe not a believer at this time, and they have this feeling that they're unwanted. May they hear this message and, or maybe a similar message from someone else. And may they come to the understanding that they truly are love as demonstrated through the cross. And may you draw them to your son, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for encouragement for my brothers and sisters. I pray for reassurance from you, for my brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would equip us for your work this week. 
And as long as we live on this side of eternity, may you mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. May you help us to reach out to those who feel unloved, to to the lonely, to the looked down upon. Help us, Lord, to come alongside them, to be a blessing to them. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. So, Lord God, may you bless the remainder of our night and the remainder of our week. And at the same time, help us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you all for coming out. May God bless you. May God keep you. As always, of course, here you are love. We love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.